sure if you were going to give me like an introduction. Or <laughs> I, was, I was waiting. All right, good morning. Good to uh, see you in church. Uh, Isaiah chapter number six, uh, if you just find that. Uh, we're glad to, uh, to be here. We're glad to be back in Australia. Uh, um, I got sick in uh, December. Uh, it was uh, around Christmas time. I could feel myself getting weaker and uh, I'd, been losing, I'd been losing weight deliberately. Um, I've, I've been wanting to. It's all back now. Uh, but um, I'd, I'd lost about, I, I think about 10 kilos or 12, uh, a lot. And, uh, but I was getting weaker and I thought, well, it's probably because I'm losing weight. You know, I'm getting weaker because I'm losing weight. And, but actually it was, it was uh, worse than that. My, my liver was under assault from some viral condition. And, uh, and I could feel myself getting weaker and I tried to self-medicate. Um, in Thailand, you can just go to a pharmacy and buy anything. Um, everything is available. So you don't have to get a script. You, can, you, you, you are your own doctor. You and, you and Dr. Google can fix anything. <laughs> so you just go to the pharmacy and you just tell them, you know, I want this. And so I tried that and that wasn't helping. And uh, so then I, uh, I thought, okay, I, I'm getting weaker, I'm struggling. And uh, I had to get a health checkup to, to validate my visa for the next year. And so I was in a really bad shape, but I, my, the guy, Joe's wife was telling me, you have to get this checkup. So I said, Joe, take me to the hospital and let's feign wellness. And uh, I will try to act like I'm well. And let's just get this thing signed off. So I went to one hospital in Nakhonsuan, and honestly, I could barely stand up. I was like swaying. And they were saying, so there's no problem, everything's okay. And I'm going, everything's great. I'm great, everything is good. And uh, I was sitting there and they did, a, you know, just basic checks and they signed off on it. We handed that over to Di. And then I said to Joe, take me to another hospital because I'm about to collapse. <laughs> so, so the same day we went to another hospital and I couldn't even sit up. And I was in Nakansawan and the hospitals there are, you know, they're okay, but uh, perhaps not to the standard here. So normally you have to tell the doctor what you need. You, you don't wait, you tell them. And so I said, uh, look, I'm sick. Can you please check liver function? Can you run bloods? Can you? And they were, okay, okay, okay. So they, they did all that and I could, I could barely stand up. And I said, Joe, I'm going to have to go while we're waiting on the results or get me into the car or somewhere. I've got to lay down. And, uh, and then we told the doctor and they said, no, no, we'll have the results in a minute. Lay on this, this bed here. And then she came in, she was really shocked. She, she, her eyes are really big. And she said, uh, we have the results back. It's really high. And so your, your ALT, your liver reading is supposed to be, you know, around 40. Here, if you go to sort of 400, they investigate, there's probably an underlying cause. Mine was in the thousands. And uh, they had never seen that before there. And so she was just shocked. And she said, we have to admit you. And, Anyway, so we went through that process. Uh, thank God people prayed. They checked, you know, all the hepatitises and everything they could check to see if they could find what it was. It was none of that. In the end, they don't know what it was, but, uh, but uh, you know, we recovered. So towards the end of December, we were not planning to come back. But I said to Suzanne, okay, I'm out of hospital. The, my liver reading at that point was about 2,000. 
but it was, it was, you know, it was starting to come down. It, would, it had been much higher than that. I said, I think I better go home and just get some checks at home. And so there's a whole lot of Aussies stranded overseas. You know, you read, I, I get there's two mindsets about that. There are some people who say, just leave them there. And then there are others who, you know, say we should show some compassion and get them back. But anyway, we made some calls to the airline and uh, we were surprised. That was expensive, but they were able to get flights for Suzanne and I. Uh, Curtis had to remain behind. He's preaching this morning in Nakansawan. So he had to remain behind uh, because of his visa situation, his, uh, what he's doing there. So we were able to get back. Then we went into two weeks of hotel quarantine. And uh, so that was an interesting thing. You, you're met by police and army as you exit the plane. And uh, you, normally when I look out the window and I see Brisbane, I go, oh, I'm home. But, but I wasn't getting home for, you know, two weeks later. So you're met by police and army. They serve you with official documents. They give you, you know, a strong uh, briefing. You're separated. You have to wait. You get on a bus. You're taken to a hotel. Again, there's police and army there. And it's all very, you know, very regimented. And you're taken up to your hotel room where you have a window, but you cannot open it. Ours would not open, which is fortunate because Suzanne and I might have gone out it if we could have... <laughs> And, you know, I'm not sure I would have thrown her or she would have thrown me or we would have jumped together. But, you know, two weeks in a hotel room, even if you're with your darling wife, it's like being locked in your bedroom. If you have an ensuite, it's like being locked in your bedroom with the ensuite, you and your wife, two weeks. Uh, you can't open the door. Uh, there's no window. You know, you wake up every day and look at each other like, OK. So it's kind of like a comfortable jail. That's probably the way I'd describe it. So we did our two weeks quarantine and our, you know, our COVID checks and all of that, and that, all that was fine. And uh, got back. I had a series of medical uh, tests. I'd scheduled them all the week after the, uh, the jail. And uh, they all come back clear. They said, you're fine. Uh, your liver's almost back to normal. So, you know, praise the Lord, we, we're all, all okay. So got back, uh, saw pastor and a few of the brethren and then pastor asked me, he said, can you, can you preach on uh, the morning and the, uh, the evening of, of this day? So that's how we got here. Thank you for praying for us. Uh, here's what I want to do this morning. I have a five-minute video. It was not prepared to show you, so it wasn't done for, uh, uh, you know, Western audiences. The, 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 how it was put together was we had a conference in November in Nakonsawan, and a lot of the churches from around came to us. Normally we have foreign preachers. We have Brother Fisher there, we have others, Brother Murphy, others. Nobody was able to come. So we haven't seen any, any uh, you know, Western people all year. None were able to come. So we only had local Thai preachers. And uh, one of the things we did, we showed this video to the churches there. So it's only Thais. And uh, what we were trying to do is just stir them up to be more burdened to go out and reach people in their area and or plant churches, you know. So how it should work is you, you, every church should be missions-minded. My message will be a bit missions-focused this morning. And I'm concerned missions is slipping from our mindset. Uh, I, I worry about that <clears throat> because what happens is as you become preoccupied with your own life, 
and you just get so busy, when you do that, you know what you do? You please the devil. And the reason you please him, he already knows that you can't get lost. But what he wants to do is make you ineffective at doing anything else for God. And so he'll do that by making you busy. Uh, He'll make you so concerned about your life and what you need to do and your plans and, and your strategies for your life. And actually, you'll squander a whole life on things that really will not count very much for eternity. And God understands, you know, we have to eat and we have to work and you've got to cut the grass and you've got to take the kids to school and the Lord's not against those things and he understands that. But I'm just saying we, 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 get, we get too consumed with things that are temporal and we forget about things that are eternal. And when you get to eternity, you'll be absolutely eternity minded. But there'll be nothing you can do. You can't support missions then. You can't pray. You can't try and reach anybody. And, uh, and I know we've had a, 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 you know, an assailing of our minds through all that's gone on in the world. There is no country untouched at the moment. Uh, if, if anything, you, we've had it easier here than in most places. And, uh, and yet there, I, I flew back here and I could sense an immediate heaviness uh, on the country and certainly on the people of God. And so I want to just, you know, in a few minutes this morning, it's a bit of an unusual format for me, but just kind of try to stir you up. So this was shown to the ties. Uh, there's a few pictures in the front. All the pictures you'll see in the beginning are ties. There's all ties. And what we were trying to say to them was, here's the need that's going on around you. And they, and they would have connected with all the pictures we were showing. There's people doing different things and they'll, they were nodding like, mm, mm. And then we said, look, God can still reach people. We showed them some of the pictures of our church because they know that before we went to Nakhon Sawan, there was nothing. And God did something there. He took nothing and he made something. And all the people you'll see in the pictures of our church are converts that we have won to Christ. So we didn't go to a church where we started with a core of people and then we built on it. There was nothing. There was no church. There was no converts. There was nothing. There was just Buddhist Thailand. And uh, so we, we just, you know, God did it. It's, it was his work. It's his glory. Men can't do it, but men have to be there. So I want to show you the video and just let you see a little bit of that. And then the format this morning is different for me. I've got about uh, five places I want to turn to and say, read this. Here's this thought. Read, And they're kind of missions thoughts along the way. Tonight, I'll preach to you more my style. And I have a principle for you tonight that I think will help you. I don't think you would have heard it before. I'll take you through the scriptures tonight the way I normally do things, but a little different tonight, uh, this morning. So let's do the video. Some of the pictures are confronting. Uh, hopefully, if there's anything disturbing for your children, they won't really know what it is. And we'll just pass over that. But it, again, it was to say to the Thai pastors, the Thai believers are there, all this is going on around you. They know that. And the need is Christ. All right, so let's do that and then I'll come back. I want to read uh, from verse uh, number eight there. Uh, Again, the format, I I guess what I did here, I wanted to talk to you about some things that I have learned after being in Thailand for the past 14 years. And, uh, you know, this is not an exhaustive list, but just what I would want to share this morning. Isaiah chapter 6, verse number 8. 
Uh, we'll read eight and, we'll, and part of nine. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Uh, then said I, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people. The first thing I want to uh, point out, I guess that has come, been reinforced to me since I've been in Thailand these past 14 years, is that the need remains very great. And uh, you, saw, you saw some of the pictures there. Most of the people you saw us with after are people that we've won to Christ. So we've had a wonderful, fruitful year the past year. Uh, I was scheduled last year to be in America twice uh, for conferences with Brother Fisher. I was supposed to be preaching with Brother Chapel, Brother Gibbs in a big meeting in the Philippines. Uh, I was preach, scheduled to be preaching missions conferences in New Zealand last year. I was scheduled to be here twice. Of course, all of that was our calendar was miraculously cleared. And uh, so we didn't go anywhere uh, at all. We were just right there for that, that whole over a year without interruption. And uh, it was a wonderful, fruitful year. Was able to win uh, numbers of people to Christ. It's just such a joy. It still touches me to to see that, and uh, see people that I know. I had to work for months to even get to the place where I was able to give them the gospel. Uh, there's a one of the men has now uh, joined our church staff. Was a soldier in the Thai army, and uh, about a year and a half ago, I, I tried to uh, reach out to him. Other people in our church knew him, but they. Uh, they had probably not tried to reach him like they should. They thought it was too hard. So I, I kept trying to reach him. He would not talk to me for three months. So I just kept trying and I'd shoot a message and try again. No answer, no answer, no answer. And, uh, and I kept trying. Finally, uh, you know, a little answer like yes in a message or something like that. And uh, kept trying and then finally we progressed to a phone call and uh, then I was able to just, you know, talk a little bit just about his life. And uh, then another phone call. Then he started calling me. And uh, then finally to, uh, to meeting. And this is a long, this is a progression of time. And then finally I was able to win that man to Christ. And uh, he's, he's in our church. He's doing exceptionally well. Uh, uh, there's others there. And uh, God has just, God, God has just uh, given us a wonderful, fruitful year of reaching people. To be honest, I thought when I had reached the, the men who are the core of our church, I thought that that would not happen again. I thought it was, it was miraculous. It was amazing how they all came. And I thought it probably that, that season is not going to happen again. And then last year, uh, we just saw numbers of men were able to win to Christ, ladies. And uh, to see the, the people's changed lives and... What it, what it makes you just realise is that there's just, there's just a tremendous need around the world. And I, I want to say to you, you cannot be indifferent about that which God cares about very much. You, you don't, it is, it's not given to you to not care about what God cares about. Part of being Christ-like is thinking like Christ. Part, part, part of being godly is being like God in the way you think, in the burdens you have, in the priorities of your life. And, uh, and it saddens me that left to ourselves, we drift far away from the priorities of God. 
We, uh, we, like I said, you can squander a whole life on things that will amount to very little for eternity. And, uh, and it's not that, that much, it's, I'm not saying we, we, we do wrong by having to live life, but, but we need to be reminded, we need to open our eyes, we need to let the Holy Spirit speak to our hearts. It's important that we are talking to each other about the need. And I want to tell you, the need, the need is great. The need is great for labourers. You know, there, there are missionaries coming home from the field all the time. And uh, that, that pattern has been going on for the last three decades. Many more have been coming home than we send out. And so our, our, we, we have a diminished representation around the world. And, uh, and uh, people are just, there's nobody there. There's, there's, there are people waiting to hear what is the truth. Tell me. You know, what, what is the answer? Nobody's told them. They don't know. They're not hostile. They've just never heard. And they're waiting, but the problem is they're waiting, but nobody is coming. Nobody's planning to go. No, no, a lot of people don't even care. And they're not even on their minds. And, I, I, you know, how would it be if your soul had not been cared for? How, how would it be if people were indifferent to your salvation? How would it mean if, if nobody cared to get through to you? And, and that's what's going on. There's a need for labourers and there's a tremendous need on the field all over the world. You know, people, people say to missionaries sometimes, we get older and they say, well, you know, slow down or, or, you know, don't you think you've done enough? Listen, you can't see what we see and just switch off. You, you can't be where we go and see the need and understand what's going on and just be indifferent to that. You, you can't do that. So there are millions and millions of people who have no knowledge of Christ. And I want you to understand, it's not all Australia. There, there, there are Australians who have purposely chosen, I don't want this. I don't want to listen to you. I don't want this. You can keep your religion. There, there's a hostility here that is increasing and social media is feeding it. And, uh, and uh, it's growing here. It, 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 you, I can sense that. There's been very disturbing change in the last decade, since, certainly since we've been away, that we've really noticed every time we come back. But there are places in the world that are not like that. They simply haven't heard. In our city of Nakhon there's about 2 million people. And at 2 million people, there's one church preaching the gospel. One and if there were others doing it, I'd rejoice in that. I, I, you don't have to be my stripe. If you're preaching the gospel, I'm, people can get saved. I'm glad for you. But I'm telling you, there's one church with two million people. The only people going out preaching the gospel are us. The only people who get a burden as we drive around the town is us. And there, there's just an overwhelming need. And yet we're seeing uh, not, a, not a response to the need, but we're seeing an indifference to the need. In 1 Corinthians 15, 34, we read, Awake, awake. God likens our, our indifference to spiritual slumber. Awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. I speak it to your shame. And so there's a need for people to go. There's a need for people to, to uh, uh, get the gospel to just... Millions of people in places all around the world. There are people who will believe and they'll get saved if someone will go. They'll get saved. 
So do you think about the need? Uh, what, do you, what do you do for missions? You know, I, I tell you what disturbs me is people, people leave the church and, and that's, that's not the biggest thing that disturbs me. But I don't understand how, how when you're motivated and, and you're around missions conferences, you support missions, you sacrifice. I don't understand how when you leave, you just drop missions. I don't understand that. I don't understand how you said you believed in something and you had a burden, but you're, you're, you know, how is it that you can just cast that off? Well, how is it that people can, can used to support missions but barely do now? You know, we, we, we can just watch it. The longer we're away, we watch our support. We'll kind of start to do this. And what happens is it becomes this, out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, out of sight, out of mind for you, but your missionaries over there on the field already, already dealing with what they deal with and you're comfortable to sit down and have your lattes and burgers and, and av and, and toast and everything else you have and not give a, a thought to people who are over there who are trying to do what you're not doing and you're not even supporting them. And, and that's shameful. And it ought to be called out and said that that's not, that is not of God. It's not what we should be doing. And you have to motivate yourself. Pick up the mission's burden. And, uh, and understand you are obligated before God to have a part in this. And you're defrauding yourself of reward. And you're not walking right with God. Let's get aware of what needs to go on. Seemingly Christians have just become distracted or indifferent or uncaring or maybe just too busy living life to care about people's eternity. And yet the need is not getting less. It's getting more and more and more. Frankly, it's heartbreaking. Every, every, time, I, every time I leave my house, and I've, I've been there 14 years, you think you'd get over it. You think, you, you think you'd just get used to it. You know you don't. You, every time I drive out, you know, they, they, I don't know how many high schools there are just in Nakhonswan. I don't even know how many. I'm guessing there's 15 or 20. And, and there are classes. Their class size is 70 to 80 kids per class. And they'll have, for example, year nine. There'll be, there'll be seven classes of year nine with about 70 students in each class. That's just, and, and that's every year is like that. And, and then apart from just the high school kids, there's uh, probably at least six to probably half a dozen large universities with thousands of students. And then there's all the people around, there's all the elderly, and there's all the little kids that, you know, there's just huge, and, and nobody, nobody has told any of those people about Christ. They, they don't know. And they won't get angry if you tell them. They'll probably listen to you. And, 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 and you'll start, when you get that out, you'll, something will start in them. The problem is that, that it's very limiting. You know, there's only so much we can do. And, 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 and we lead people to Christ and all those people, you know, that you saw that I was able to lead to Christ, they've been out soul winning. They were out soul winning last week while I was here. Because we, we get them saved, we baptise them, we teach them, and we teach them about their responsibilities and walking with God and reaching the lost. And they go out and do their part. But even with all of that, there's just, there's just cities around us everywhere where they don't even have a church. And the same could be said for, for, for much of Asia, uh, South America. There's just tremendous, 
tremendous need. And you can't do everything, I understand, but what are you doing? What are you doing? You know, do you, do you have to have a missionary come back and plead? Please pick up the ball again. Can you not regulate yourself and, and say, I've got to keep up our missions giving. I can't forget the need on the field. I need to, I need to stay with that. Uh, you know, and, and so that's the first one. The second one I want you to turn to, because I'll watch quick, is Isaiah chapter, uh, sorry, Psalm 40. So the need, the need. Secondly, let's read, I'll do the verse and I'll give you a point. Psalm 40, I'll start. Verse number five. Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and, they, and thy thoughts which are to us would. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Verse number eight. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I have not refrained my lips, O Lord, thou knowest. Okay, the second thing I want to bring out here is about the will of God. And it's this, the will of God should not be feared, but it should be followed. The Bible said there in verse number five, that God has good thoughts to us. God is thinking good things for you. God is not planning for you to have a wretched life. If you have a wretched life, you did that to you. you because you followed your will and not God's will. right? Because you wanted to marry the beautiful blonde instead of the girl that God had for you. Because you chose in the flesh and not in the spirit, so you live with that. Okay, but God's plan for you is to have a good life. God has, God has good intent, good thoughts to you. And uh, God, God wants to, to bless you. The will of God is not something you should worry about, but you should commit yourself to following it. What God gives you will always be better than what you could have given yourself. And yet people fear the will of God. And you fear the will of God because in your minor thinking, uh, you, you, you step it out and you say, oh, I don't know how we could do that. Or, you know, you, you try to work it all out before you even get there. And, uh, and what you do, you, you place God's will uh, uh, up for judgment and you, 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 you decide, oh, I don't think that's for me. Or you decide that, that God has maybe not given you the best thing. And uh, instead of just you know, committing yourself. There was a day where numbers of us believed that if God led you to do something, you just did it. There was a day where numbers of us believed that by faith you followed God even when you didn't know all that was going to come out of that. And I'm saying we've lost something. You know, we've, we've just become carnal and, and fleshly. And, uh, and we, you know, we talk of the Spirit, but it's kind of hard to find Him these days. We've silenced his voice. You know, we've become gods in our own sight, orchestrating our own lives, knowing better than God knows. Uh, waxing opinions about this and about that. And most people wouldn't even know the voice of the Holy Spirit anymore. They haven't heard it for such a long time. But the will of God 
The will of God is not something that you should fear, but it's something you follow. And I've learned uh, when he calls you to do something, it's always better than what you would have done yourself. He gives you the best. And I want to say that after being over there for 14 years and, and having apprehension about going and, and not knowing what it's going to lead to and not having really anything to go to, and, but just, just believing that, that he told me to go. You know, I remember, you, you didn't know it because it didn't happen to you, but I was sitting over there before I went and God gave me a certain, I don't know if you would say a vision or just, you know, a mental picture, but something happened sitting over there. I saw a very clear picture uh, and, and it was, and I had a sense in my spirit, it was speaking of things in Thailand and I didn't really know what it was and it was probably 15 years ago when that happened. But over and over again, as I'm now over there walking the church property and we had no church property. We had no church property. We had nothing. We started church in the, in the, in the, underneath our house in Nakhon Sawan, uh, sitting there covering the TV over with a cloth and trying to do church in the, you know, as best you could call it a lounge room. That's how we started. And God, God has, God has blessed as much as he's led. And God has provided everything that's been needed. And now we have a church property. And now we have a church building. And uh, last year we completed a fellowship hall. And last year we completed dormitories for people to come in. And last year we built two houses on the property. And we're not done. We, we have much more to do. Uh, but I'm saying if God calls you to do something, he will provide everything you need to be able to do that. And he'll, he'll make it happen. And you'll look at what God has done in your life and you'll say, it's just been good, good, good. But people who don't listen to God don't get to say that at the end of their life. There's regret. And, you know, you have your house and what? A couple of rental properties. Was that a trade-off for the will of God? Has, how does that make you feel at the end of your life? When actually you were anointed for far more than that. You sold yourself short, your fears, uh, your, your faithlessness. And so the will of God is something you need to get hold of and you need to follow whatever it is. If, you, if, you are, if you're single, if you're not married yet, let me give you just a bold thought. Try to find the will of God in who God has for you. Try, try, to, try to lay aside your own nuttiness and following all your friends who are unsaved and, uh, you know, your, your, your social media wisdom and just push that aside and do something really crazy and ask God who he wants you to marry and believe that he can direct you to that. And you say, why do you say that? Because when you get that part wrong, a lot after can go wrong. And it's just, it's just better. People are making foolish choices, being led of the flesh. You're not being led of God. You're being led of yourself. And that's because your spirituality has declined and your flesh life has increased. And now what you're led of is what you feel instead of being led of God. And you better, you better get yourself right before God just lets you go off a cliff. The will of God. Learn, learn to find it for yourself. What does God want you to do? I, I don't believe that God is not calling any missionaries anymore. I don't believe that. I believe people are just not listening. I don't believe God's just stopped calling pastors. I think people just don't want to do it. That's the truth. 
They've already decided, I don't want that life. That's what they've done. You know, there was a time when we didn't think about that life. We just thought about, if God has called me, here am I, Lord, send me. I will go. And we just surrendered, not knowing what we were going to, but knowing who we were going with. God will always, always give you the best. You should always do what God asks you to do. Whom he recruits, he resources. Uh, If he enlists you, he'll equip you. And he'll give you what you need. So uh, that's very important. John chapter 4, let me move to the next thing. So we've talked about the need. We've talked about the will of God and just learning to delight yourself in the will of God. Let me share something from John chapter 4 that I've learned. And you might find the reading uh, a little perplexing and I'll explain it. John chapter 4, let me get the verse number 12. The woman at the well talking, the lady we call the woman at the well. Art thou greater than our father, we're in verse 12, than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle. Jesus answereth and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the waters that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Now I want you to think about something. In the Bible, there's a lot of mention about wells. And there's there's a double application there. The patriarchs all dug wells. And uh, what a well is, a well provides water. And what a water is, a water is blessing. And it's blessing to yourself and it's blessing to others. And when God put this thing of well digging in the Bible, it, it's not just a, you know, a cultural idiosyncrasy that you just pass over. Okay, it's got some teaching to it. And this woman was saying, you know, a thousand years later, we're drinking from this well still that, that our father Jacob uh, dug for us. And the point is this... Uh, You know, when you go to the mission field, when you're serving God, when you're doing anything where you're going to obtain a blessing, it's like digging a well. Okay, the the water, when you hit the water, you've hit the blessing. But when you go to dig a well, do you know what you see? You don't see water. You see dirt. Okay, You you can be right in the place of the blessing, but you can't see it. But it's right under you. And so what you have to do, and I found this to be true in Thailand, you know, God called us to knock on so on. You say, did you, see the, did you see the water? No, I saw the dirt. That's, you know, that's what I did. What's happened since is I've dug some wells. And there are people still feeding off that. And it's a blessing. But any, any endeavor of God is like that. It's like digging a well. And what you've got to do, you've got to just clear away the dirt so you can get to the water. And that means there's a labor involved in, in clearing that. You have, to, you have to dig a well to obtain a blessing. But what happens is we get, we get to, <coughs> uh, you know, we stop, stop wanting to move the dirt. Or we, we don't think the blessing is there. And by the way, that's true for your personal life. You know, clear the dirt away and the blessing will bubble forth. But there's so much junk in our life. We've, we've blocked up our wells. Many times God opened up a well in our life where we, we felt an inner, an inner spring, an inner joy, an inner blessing. 
But just over time, you block it all up. And you need to clear it out. And there's labor involved with that. And when we went to knock on someone, we, you know, we didn't immediately see the blessing. <coughs> it looked hard. And, uh, and it is hard. And the Thai pastor said to us, oh, it's very hard here. And, and fortunately, God diminished their voice at that time and just enlarged his voice in my mind. But they were telling us. But every, every endeavor that is going to come to blessing requires a labor in moving the dirt first. And, and see it as like digging a well. But you have, to, you have to keep going. You know, marriages can get, their well can get blocked up. And you've got to, you've got to clear it out and get, get, back to the, get back to the blessing. But you have to keep going. And sometimes serving God here or serving God on the field, it's just, it's just a labor where sometimes there's, there's not a daily blessing. I'm not winning people to Christ daily. <clears throat> Many times we put in months of labor with people of just clearing it away before we get the blessing. But if you will stay with it, if you will keep going, you will get, you will get the blessing. In November of last year, was that two months ago, I told you we had our conference where we showed that video. A number of Thai pastors were there. Uh, I said to Joe, I don't know who we're going to get in to preach. We have to work out who can we get from Thailand in to preach. And so uh, there was a Filipino pastor or missionary, a good man, uh, who had been uh, in uh, Thailand maybe a couple of years before I had. So or maybe, maybe even he's been there maybe 20. And uh, he's located in Bangkok. And I'd heard him preach and I said, Joe, let's get him out and add him to the preaching schedule. He'll be a blessing. And uh, so he came to us in Nakhon Sawan. He hadn't, hadn't been to the church property before and he came and my office was opened up and you know there's places to sit for the pastors to fellowship and if they weren't preaching or <coughs> between meetings and uh, he was sitting in there and he'd walked our property and he'd seen he'd seen the land he'd seen the houses he'd seen the church auditorium uh, he'd seen the fellowship hall he'd seen the accommodation the dorms we'd built for those studying the bible and he'd walked around and he saw it all and he was moved by that and he was sitting in my office and he doesn't talk a lot, but he was kind of looking at the floor and he said, uh, uh, you know, Pastor, God has really blessed you here. And I said, uh, yes, yes, Pastor, m much more than, than we deserve. He said, he, he, he's been very good to us. And he said, uh, you know, he looked at the floor again. He said, I came to knock on someone before you did. And I said, uh, I said, no, I, I didn't know that. He said, mm. He said, in fact, I started a church three doors down from where you used to be in the town. I said, oh. He said, yeah. He said, when you first came up here, I, I drove up to have a look. I said, oh. He said, pastor, we were here a year and it was so hard. He said, we, we tried to reach people. We, we tried. We, he said, we stayed a little bit longer than a year. Then uh, we left. We had to go. We, we, we didn't think anything was going to come of it. And we left. Now, I never knew that. And I said, oh. And he was looking around. And you know what he was thinking? He was thinking, I should have stayed. I should have stayed. 
the blessing has gone to someone else because I stopped. And then he said to me, and he said, and you know, Pastor, after I left, another came. And I said, no, I, I, I said, I didn't know that either. And he said, hmm. He said he stayed for about one year, missionary. He said, but it was uh, too hard and he left. I said, oh, I never knew that. He said, and then, Pastor, you came. And I said, oh. Now, I had no idea of that history and God had hidden it from me. I never knew that I was going somewhere where two other people had laboured and said, it's too hard, you can't do it here, this area is too difficult and had, and, and had been driven out. Let me say this, if you, if you walk away from what God has given to you to do, he'll give it to another. And it will be your torment to look at what was meant for you that has gone to another. And it will be painful to see, not to see the blessing, but to realise it was intended for you and it's gone to another. You have to, you have to stay at what God has asked you to stay at. And you have, to, you have to keep going. Because anything lasting that has a blessing requires a continuation. Let me say number four, and I was going to give you Acts 20, 22 to 24, that there are sufferings in service everywhere. There are sufferings in service. And, I, and I, the reading I have in Acts 20, 22 to 24 is about Paul talking of going to Jerusalem. He says in verse 22, Lo, uh, behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. You know, you don't, you don't know what is going to come as you go out in your service for God. And I'm not standing here this morning and telling you that if you serve God, if you go out, there won't be any suffering. There's, there's suffering in service everywhere. Uh, there's suffering on Pastor Lloyd as he serves here. There's suffering on, on missionaries. There's suffering on pastors. Every, everybody serving God has that. But what I am saying is, is that you don't, you don't have to let something like that stop you from serving God. Because, because, in fact, most of it God will hide from you. And he'll hide it from you. He's not playing games with you, but, but he's, he'll get you ready. When it comes, you'll have the grace you need. When, when, you, when you have to deal with your suffering, the grace of God will arrive. And the wisdom of God will come at that time to help you get through that. And we've had, we've had sufferings and we've had difficult things and a lot of it is still there. Uh, but God is able to give you whatever you need to be able to keep going. And if you'll just, if you'll just endure and, uh, and stay with it, uh, God will bless that. Don't ever walk away from something because you're afraid there might be some suffering in it. Listen, there's suffering in everything. There's suffering not being in the will of God. There's suffering everywhere. You can't avoid suffering in this life. That, that should not be a factor in you deciding what God has for you to do. Okay, Paul said, I go because the Spirit leads me. And I don't even know all what's there. I know it'll be suffering of some kind. But I go in the Spirit. He went on to say, none of these things move me. I, I will not alter course because of the difficulty. I will, I will continue on. Let me just, I'm watching the time. Number five, God will change you and shape you for where he has you to be. 
And, and uh, if, you, if you're writing it down, you want to look at 1 Samuel 10, verse 9 and 11. And it talks there about uh, Saul, uh, how God changed him. It says in verse 9 that God gave him another heart. God changed him. Uh, it said that the Spirit of God came upon him and he began to do things he couldn't do before. He began to prophesy. And people said, is Saul also among the prophets? What's happened to Saul? This was not our old Saul that we knew. Why, why, is he, why is he different now? Where'd this come from? And it was God. Because God gave him a new heart. And God put the Holy Spirit on him. And God gave him an ability to do things that he ordinarily wouldn't have been able to do. Uh, I'm still shocked that I can speak Thai. I, I, I still I hear myself speaking Thai sometimes and I think, is that you? Uh, uh, or I'll listen to them prattling on all around me and I'll think, you know, we've, they've just talked for an hour and a half in Thai and, and you've understood them. And the reason I do that is because I, I just thought I could never do that. I could never do that. There were two things I thought I could never do in my life. One was to learn a musical instrument and two was to speak a foreign language. I'm still working on the... I've got a harmonica in my pocket if you'd like me to <laughs> give it a go. But... Uh, but God can give you the ability. God will change you. You know, now people say, oh, Brother Shemish, missionary to Thailand. That's what they know. But that was not me. Those of you who knew me a long time ago knew that that was a very unlikely outworking for somebody like me. But God changed me. God changed me. We, we, we've lived most of the last 14 years with very little contact from Westerners. We don't have any Western friends at all in Thailand. None. So that means that God has enabled us to live amongst another culture. And, and God has knitted our heart to people and those people have their heart knitted to me. And they, they will say, we will, we will, you, you are like our father. We will, we will take care of you. Uh, when you are old, we will take care of you. We will always be beside you. Uh, and, and, and God has done something and worked in us. He's changed us. He's allowed us to be there. He's allowed me to do things I never thought I'd be able to do. You know, the Thai people used to come here when we'd bring them here and they'd eat our food and they'd say, all your food has no taste. <laughs> they'd say, there's no taste in any of your food. I'd say, of course there's taste. You know, that's, mate, that's, that's, you know, bangers and mash and gravy and what do you, you know, it's, it's, it's great. It's, it's, you know, it's good. <clears throat> and they say, there's no taste. Suzanne and I got back this time and I'm saying, honey, there's no taste in any of the food. <laughs> and she said, I know, there's no taste. And then I remembered that they used to say that. And I thought, oh, my food tastes have changed. And I'm just saying that, that you don't have to worry that, that you think you're not what God wants you to be because he will shape you and change you. He will, he will make you what, you what you can be and he'll grow you. But, but listen, he's not going to grow you in the pew for you to do nothing. He, 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 didn't, he didn't change my food taste while I was sitting here. I hated Thai food. People used to say to me, um, oh, you're going to Thailand, I love Thai food. And I think, I don't love Thai food. Remember when Pastor Lloyd was not Pastor Lloyd, but, you know, he was just Nathan Lloyd. He said, Pastor, I'll take you to a Thai restaurant. I said, oh, I don't want to go to a Thai restaurant. And he said, no, no, try it. I think, you know, I think you'll like it. He said, it's a good one. I said, all right, you take me. We got there and 
And I said, I was just looking at the menu. I said, I don't know what to order. He said, I'll order for you. I said, all right, you order for me. And he, and he ordered it and he came out and I ate it. And then he said, well, how was it? You know, you like it? I said, it was okay. <laughs> it was okay. I really didn't like it. I, just, I never got it. I never got the bug. But people would say that. But listen, you, you, you get over there. You're in the will of God. You've got to eat. It'll be okay. He'll send the Holy Spirit to change your taste buds. It's fine. You'll get a different heart, a different mind, a different desire. It changes. You're okay. When you're in the will of God, he'll take care of everything. He understands you. He'll give you what you need. And he'll shape you to be everything you need. And I thank God for that. You know, God has enabled me to win more Thai people than Thai people win. And they will say, you know, you just, you seem to be able to connect with people. You know, they'll pray, God, help me to be like Pastor Shemesh. And I'll say, you're them. You you are them. And I'll say, yeah, but not like you. And God has just given me an ability. And I'm just saying, when you, it's a wonderful thing to walk in the will and the calling of God. It's a wonderful thing to be a vessel that God uses to to bring the light to a dark place. It's a wonderful thing. That little girl I saw in the picture, that's Dio's daughter, you know, and she's a sweet little thing and they, they asked me to, they always asked me to name their children. They asked me to name her. So I named her Betty. I named her Betty because I thought she looked like Betty Boop. You know, Betty Boop, the, <laughs> I thought that's, the, and they didn't even know. I said, she's just like Betty Boop. They said, well, who is, who is Boop Betty? I said, no, it's Betty Boop. They said, I said, don't worry, you don't need to know who she is. <laughs> and uh, so I called her Betty. And, and, you know, you look at that and you remember, you remember when you walked into the slum and you threw him over your shoulder and carried him out as he was drug-affected, vomit on his clothes. You remember carrying him out, the stench of the open sewers as you walked out people staring at you, you wondered if you were going to get out. You remember all that. You remember the prayers. You, you, you remember just, just getting them like that and it, it, you remember that. And then you see what God did in their life. You know what? He preaches fine. Dio is a wonderful preacher. We send Dio out to preach now and, and people keep calling, can you send him back? I mean, he gets up and preaches and people start crying I mean, Thai people, old people, they start crying because he'll preach from the heart. And he, he can tell, he can tell from the heart because he's lived it and he is that and he knows what's true. And he'll tell the stories and he'll tell how I went and got him and, and, and people get moved. And now you never would have predicted that. It's a wonderful thing to walk in the will of God. Why do we fear that? Why are we afraid? It's if God has called you to something, you know, follow, follow the Lord. If God is asking you to do something, follow the Lord. But you know what we do? We think, oh, what do I got to give up? What am I going to lose? And you, you lay it all out. And you know what? He'll hand you over to your own thinking in the end. In the end, he'll say, you want to think that way? You think that way. And your blessing will move to somebody else. Walk in the will of God from the beginning, right back from, in who you date, in who you marry, 
in what you decide to do, in where you go to church, in, in what you do with your money. I mean, how many times, you know, God has tested me in Thailand where he's asked me to give everything I had. And I thought, oh, God, you know, just it happened to me just a little while ago. Uh, James, one of our men and his wife, and he now has a son, Matthew. And Matthew got really sick. He's one years old and they took him to hospital. And Matthew was in hospital. And hospital, Thais are terrified of hospitals because of cost. And so they're fearful. If anyone gets sick, they try really hard to not have to go to a hospital because they simply cannot afford it. And so it got, it got, you know, he was high feverish and I actually thought he might have had meningitis or something. And so they took him to the hospital and they said, we have to admit him. And him and James and his wife were thinking, oh, you know, I don't know what we're going to do, how we're going to pay this. And so he was in there three nights and they kept saying, can we take him out now? Can we take him out? How would you like to be that way, by the way? We can't even go to a hospital. If your child is sick, you're terrified to go to a hospital. Well, finally, you know, they, they got him out and, and then the bill came. And it was way, way, way beyond anything they could pay. And I said, James, I didn't want to ask, but I did. I said, James, how much was it? And he told me. And I said, oh, that's a lot. And I said, what are you, what are you, what are you going to do? How can you pay it? And he said, oh, we, I don't know, Pastor. He said, you know, we might try to contact a relative, see if they can sell some land or do something or work out something. I said, oh, okay, okay. All right, well, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. And I got about three steps away and God said, you'll do more than pray for him. <laughs> and I got in my car and, and, you know, I'm trying to think about something else and I could feel God saying, it's me, Wayne, pay the bill. And I'm saying, well, now, Lord, if it's you, you just tell me. I've told you already, Wayne. Okay. Well, maybe I could give half of that. You could give it all, Wayne. I told you to give it all. And I don't know how many times that's happened. And I've said, okay. And I just transferred it into his account, just emptied my account and put it in there. You know, a week later, someone in America that we didn't even know I just said, you know, I was praying for you and God burdened my heart to give you this amount. And it was 10 times what I just gave. I just came back and it was like, I don't even know this person. Now that's happened again and again and again. But obedience comes first. Obedience comes first. And when God is telling you to do something, first you obey and then the blessing will meet you after that. All right, let's have a word of prayer. I will be done for this morning. Tonight I'll try to teach you proper, but uh, let's just take a moment to pray. Yeah, you want to come, Lee? All right, we're just going to have a word of prayer this morning, and uh, Lisa's going to play. And uh, I just want to invite you. I think we've certainly been challenged this morning. By what we've heard, I know I certainly have um, on many different areas, many different fronts in our life, and I think it would be good for us, uh, mindful for us to just come this morning and seek the Lord on some of those things, and you can do that at the altar down here, you can do that in your pew, but I think it's, it's good for us to do that today, and um, maybe there's some things in your life that you've let slip, like Pastor was talking about, and Maybe it's the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit or asking him for help or 
Maybe there's some fears that you're worried about, some things that you're concerned that God might do in you or through you, with you. And I think we can bring those things before the Lord. So as Lisa plays this morning, we're just going to spend a moment in prayer, uh, spend a few minutes here and I'll leave that to you. You don't need me to lead you in that prayer. You can speak to the Lord just like you speak to another person. You can ask him, you can share things with him. Maybe you want to grab somebody else and ask them to pray with you.